the story starts because my mum actually had to escape Sri Lanka in a war situation. It's a brave, brave woman. She smuggled okay. me on a fake passport um, into the into the UK for a better life. Um, we lost all our assets in Sri Lanka, so we had to start again. So we had to go into social housing in North West London. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and you're surrounded by the people who you're surrounded with. So I was surrounded. They put, put us in what we call Chalk Hill Council Estate. I don't know if you lived in White City now, but Chalk Hill was notorious in the 80s and 90s to be a drugs um, manufacturing capital um, of London and on the UK. And I I don't know what architect built this structure, but all the flats were connected by these maze tunnels. So you had all the drug runners escaping police (laughs) in the (laughs) block to block in in these tunnels, right? And I was six, seven years old, only Asian kid there at that time. And, you know, I had to be wary, understand people, you know, because I was the only Asian kid, they tried to pick on me. Unlike other Asian kids, I punched back. (laughs) So I kind of understood uh, what the streets were and pattern recognition being alert and stuff and and I got into trouble I was luckily luckily I didn't do anything bad I didn't get into illegal trouble but I always was fighting you know um, I always had to get the latest clothes uh, be cool Uh, education wasn't much for us there was no no one around us who were older by the way the older guys were the influence and they were usually bad influence none of them went to college or university as we say none of them had a career so I dropped out my first dropout was from high school I think I only got one C in English speaking and I thought education wasn't for me so to your question I was just following the wrong crowd getting into fights thankfully I had weightlifting Mm -hmm. as a discipline but uh, yeah I was doing so I was doing nothing basically and what was like the first sign for you to that you paid attention to that this was probably not the right path to take. Like maybe these guys, the, these older people who are influencing me Ill, doing illegal stuff doesn't apply to my life. Yeah, so um, two things happened. Well, three things I have to say. Number one, when I was 15, my uncle from Sri Lanka, um, unfortunately he's passed away, came. He said, listen, you're either going to be in jail or you're going to get killed here is i can't afford much but here's a set of weights and these were old school sand weights and i fell in love mm-hmm. with weights i did i didn't fall in love with martial arts That's but good. i fell in love with weights um i was a big weightlifting fan olympic weightlifting um i'd done some regional shows i was quite good um nothing i had an injury so i couldn't qualify olympics or anything serious but it get me disciplined so even if i didn't have education you know i learned short-term long-term goals from weightlifting, looking back. And I didn't even know I was doing it. By the way, I was writing things out, targets and stuff every week. Like no one was teaching me. My parents didn't know. My coaches, I didn't even have a coach. I was just I was just Googling stuff. And, um, and it was like West Bell Barber, I think, the, the society on the East West Coast. And I was writing stuff. So first, um, that gave me discipline. And everyone else was not disciplined enough. So I kind of noticed that. The second thing I realized is that I was in sales so from 16 to 21, although I was messing around, I was working in what, Saeed, you might know, Tesco, right? Shops, um, clocks, yeah. boots, shoe shops, fashion mm. shops. So I was learning sales and I was getting an income that was legal and I was learning how to spend it appropriately, right? So I was learning sales. And the third thing that happened was actually I was getting into these fights at 21. The serious thing is 
I got hit on the head uh, with a uh, with a sharp bottle um, and an instrument, and I went into a coma uh, for four hours. Uh, I was twenty one. I woke up and I was like, "Hey, uh, where are my family? No one in the hospital, uh, and where are all those friends that were meant to be there? No one was there, right?" So I'm like, "Ah, yeah. Now it's time to get out to do something because I'm wasting my life." Wow. That's, that's incredible that you actually paid attention moment. to these experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Made you who you um, are today. Dr. Pradeep, I want to I wanted to ask you about Pradeep. Um how can we make this the best podcast for you today? And um cuz I know how you can make it the best podcast for us. Well, I, my motto is to help and serve. If I if any any kid from Lebanon or a village in Sri Lanka or Africa or even in middle or upper class England and UK have seen my life and seen how many times I dropped out, achieved things quickly, and they listen to like little things and that inspires them to do great, better things than me. Uh, it's a great podcast for me uh, because the more I guest on this, I do it for free and everything because I want to, you know, touch people and say, hey, you can do great things. It doesn't matter where you're from and what your experiences are. All right. So teach us the ways of Pradeep. How can we get stronger, healthier, smarter? Give it to us, dude. What is, because you're talking about the long term, right? We're yeah. so used to nowadays, like, um, oh, I have a bit of anxiety. Pop me a pill. No, yeah. Give me the pill. Yeah. I've got a cold. Give me a pill. Oh, yeah. There's a pill yeah. for everything, right? Yes, yes. You're right. So how? Pop- what is the long term game for you? How do you maintain long term health? So basically, I've dropped out four things in life. Um, are you talking about mental health or physical health? Let's talk about physical health. Physical health, um, I, I work out. I'm... I wake up in the morning, I work out. I usually have one session of weightlifting and half or 45 minutes of stretching. Um, so I, I do that. On Sundays, it used to be Wednesdays, I've done long runs, 5 to 10K. I went to a period where I was doing marathons. I think I ran 16 marathons, 16 weeks, plus an ultra marathon. Uh, I cut that down because I'm back to weightlifting now. So I've always worked out every day. I typically have one day rest, and that kept me going. And also, by the way, um, when I know how to rest, I rest. If I need medicine, I'll take medicine. But it, it's just, I think, mm. ever since 15, I've done some kind of form of exercise, and uh, it's kept me going now. I, it's, it's scary because someone asked me in the gym today, a kid asked me, how long you been doing it for? And I'm like, oh, fuck. It's, it's been 22 years I've been lifting weights or doing some of the things. So it goes, time goes quickly. Um, so I always done something of that form. What advice would you give these people in the gym to maintain their physical health? Because I know a lot of people usually in their early 20s or like, you know, 18 and just in that age, they're going to go to the gym. They want to look good. They want to, their, maybe their intentions are not very consistent or sustainable in the long run. So how do you build up that discipline in the gym so that you can stay consistent and stay doing it for 22 years? Yeah. I want to add to Saeed's point because Saeed has a good question and it kind of reflects on me. I was diagnosed with MS, right? And I'm looking at you and I'm like, you can do it. I can do it. Of course. You understand? Of course. Of course. Like if you started at a young age um, doing bodylifting, you know, I, I want to 
because I'm having struggles. Like Said said, he's like, he won't, like, he's, how am I going to put this? Because, yeah, I just want to, like, right? to get I want to see, go. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 literally uh, forty minutes a day that I struggle for when I was a kid. Even like if I was going between fights or school, I I used to go forty minutes, get weights done. By the way, um, that forty minutes discipline saved me a couple of times because there were times when gang members or people used to come and say, "Hey, do you want to go with this fight? Someone's kicking off and stuff." And those forty, I'm like, "No, I need to get to the gym." And I kid you not, there was one point where I, I said, no, I need to go to the gym. All those people ended up in jail for attempted murder. All those people that went to that place. And that's because I had a session in a gym. So that 40 minutes, which I prioritize 40 to one hour is, I think, is a discipline. The, the thing I, coming back to your question is, uh, when I was young, I wanted to lift the biggest, look the biggest and so forth, right? I think that's not a bad thing. I think every man or woman or they or whatever you believe in has to go through their own process of taming and teaching the ego. So, you know, when I'm 37, I can't go to a kid and say, hey, it's not all about looking good. If you want to look good, if you want to be the biggest in the gym, go and get it. Get, get yourself injured or even get your goals and then you learn the psyche. Hey, I'm South Asian. I don't have the best genetics. I don't have the best metabolism. My hip is the tight. I need to work around those things. Those come in ages. I'm a big believer in let your evolution and your ego evolve on your own. I'm not a big person on telling people what to do. And I've handled students and employees like that. So kids, get out there. If, you, if your heart and desire is to look good and to be strong, go do it. And eventually, if you get obsessed enough and if you have passion enough, you learn the fine nuances and you learn that, hey, I know so much now that I don't have to look good or look big. I've learned how to control my ego and know my genetic potential and work within it. The problem is people go for five uh, months or five weeks, they don't see results and they go back because everyone's looking at a perfect model. Uh, but once you do it enough, you realize your limitations and then you're happy with yourself. You build self-esteem and self-confidence. Mm. And that only comes through time and hard work and effort. Time and experience, right? I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't believe in this saying. People say, no pills. Clever, toss yeah. them. The creatine, to, to, toss it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, take a creatine glutamine if it helps you, man. Whatever helps you, but you've learned in the long, long run. <laughs> Whatever helps you recover, do it. I, I say, you know, it's your life, do it. And, and by the way, I was a big on creatine, glutamine, protein. You know, I was massive and it helped me recover. But now I'm kind of back on in and out of uh, eight or 10 week programs on it. So, so I kind of learned my body my own way. Mm. And uh, Pradeep, so you went from teenage gangster to working into sales and then into pharmaceuticals. How, how did you transition into pharmaceuticals? Yeah, that's yeah. Like, so this where, goes back where does to... that fit in your life? Yeah, so this goes back into knowing your potential, right? Uh, because I was weightlifting, I loved yeah. reading about muscles and biology. I knew nothing, physics, chemistry, all that. I, I, even numbers, maths, I didn't know nothing. So here's my ego. Here's what I know, what I like. I, I kind of get it. Let's make, now I say life is a sales game, a risk game, and a numbers game. 
I made three phone calls. One woman said, hey, um, why don't you come to this Polytech University, like a community college. Uh, we'll give you something called an access course. So if you dropped out of high school, you can do this course that condenses everything and you can get a degree. So I smashed it. Um, and then I loved uh, pharmaceuticals in yeah. my first year. Seriously. And by the way, I was never the talented in high school, or even in my degree. But every summer I turned up to lectures and lab for free and worked as a technician. And then the second summer I got a scholarship uh, to work in the lab as an intern. The third summer I got it. And so then I realized, okay, I finished with a first class honors. Um, not at the top of my class, still finished. But my ambition to do pharmaceutical at the high level was there. I'm like, okay, cool. Now I know genetic potential and I know that life is a numbers game. It doesn't matter what people say. So then I said, hey, let's go big, right? Let's apply to Oxford. They're like, my teacher's like, uh, my one of my lecturers, he's like, hey, you're very talented, but how are you going to get to Oxford? So I said, I'm going to take a train from Paddington Station. Um, so I took a train in the summer. <laughs> wow. I took a train nice. and this is a big, I tell people from the hood or social housing, if you're not exposed to certain environments, put some clothes on and go to those environments. I went to Oxford and I fell in love with pharmaceutical more because I realized that the capabilities of these labs and these students are amazing. And <laughs> I can be there if I do a certain things. So then I three phone calls. I, I knew that I had to get a master's scholarship. So I made 13 phone calls and 13 rejections. And I got a scholarship at Imperial College London. And I passed that. And then I was like, okay. Then I made 46 applications. And the 47th a Lebanese man gave me a scholarship for a PhD at Oxford. And, and then again, I put my head down, <laughs> smashed it even more. In 2017, I was the first in history to win the British European American Award. So I went from dropout to that stage in six years. Then I, um, then I dropped out again uh, of a career and I wanted to discover drugs. Uh, and that was the passion. So sometimes, you know, I just done another podcast on e-commerce <laughs> and we touch on it. <laughs> sometimes life is, the passion becomes what's easy to you. People say, hey, I'm passionate about this. Yeah. But really what you should be, what is the easiest thing you're doing? For me, it was understanding biology. So I, I concentrated on that. And when it becomes easy and you become successful, it becomes your passion. When people struggle too hard, it doesn't become your passion. Then you're lost. Wow. You narrowed it oh, that's down very wise words. Yeah. yeah Find very... what's easy for you. I mean, man. That's, I mean if you believe in God... <laughs> I mean, it depends, right? Because uh, you can sell these supplements online. And you're technically a dog read on Amazon, but it's healthy supplements, right? So you, you got to yeah. understand what yeah. your desires are saying and how to go go ahead. So, and do you believe that uh, your work experience um, working in retail in the beginning really helped you in the pharmaceutical career that you had as well? Yeah, so any anything in life, sales helped me. Uh, it's all a sales game, no matter where you are, no matter what you do. You know, I dropped out of four fields now and every time on a uh, on a customer basis or talking to an investor or talking to a bank, talking to a supplier, it's all his sales. So that retail experience really helped me. By the way, uh, being a poor kid, we couldn't afford much travel, <laughs> right? And being in a London city, it exposed me to so many different nationalities and people. 
that allowed me to understand culture and uh, and communication with so many different nationalities and that all becomes uh, it became from a retail experience working in retail in london yeah so speaking on sales a lot of successful businessmen always really push the concept of doing sales in their life or they they wish that people would do more sales in their life so that because like that's the that's the thing you know that's it's a very important aspect or skill that you have so that you can become successful what is what is sales to you like how do you define it to someone and why is it so important like what's so vital about sales in the modern day sales to me is the ability for two um, uh, parties to come together and negotiate a fair deal for each that's it it's not me getting something over you or you over me how are you and me going to come together and for me i don't like the the word sales is good but i like the word negotiation more how can you teach young people negotiation mm-hmm. right that is the key for sales how do you broker a deal that's fair and advantage this for everyone and sometimes um, business and business leader and thought leadership, whatever that is, tell us about sales, 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 right? It's actually negotiating to get fair, te- for fair terms for everyone. I think that is sales because both parties uh, is a win-win for both. And how you can use leverage so both sides can understand that, hey, we both won. I think that's the beauty. And also it's great satisfaction when you walk away and when both sides win. And um, the best way to do that is the product, right? At the end of the day, the product has to be something that the customer wants and yep. it's in a good deal. The product and, and the um, service as well. that you want to sell. Yes. The product and the service. No, and, that's what makes it a the, win-win. Yeah. And the word we're talking about is leverage. You know, um, I, I, I used to have a saying mm-hmm. to my students and I told them, uh, knowledge is not power. You've been told wrong. Knowledge is not power. Right, leverage is uh, knowledge mm-hmm. is leverage. Applied leverage is power. Anyone can read so many books, mm-hmm. right? But if you don't know what the leverage is mm-hmm. over someone else and you apply it, that's where the knowledge becomes useful. And that's where sales in sales you when you leverage by knowing stuff, by knowing something about someone or knowing what they want. What product are the unique selling points of my product and how you can actually uh, help their needs? If not, how can how can you actually bring your product down or their needs down or desires up to actually counterbalance that? So if I know my weakness and I know their strengths, how do you counteract it? If you don't know, how can you actually go and find out? So those are the things that you have, really have to master in that kind of negotiation sales kind of pitch and it comes from every day by the way talking to a girl to uh, to ask her on a date to getting money from a bank you know or, or or you know talking to your teacher about grades you know it comes about everywhere and if you come into it from that kind of angle you you learn sales very quickly um I, could you please elaborate on um the date aspect of it because we're all you know young men and so what's the best way to negotiate with a woman? <laughs> you you gotta be you gotta be on Romantically. point. Romantically, you, you are, from my understanding, <laughs> from my experience, you have to be on point. There has to be certain angles that she needs to look at and say, "Hey, 
uh, physically, mentally, uh, intelligent-wise, every angle, you know, this guy is going, not at the highest level, but he's actually all good and calm and collective. And we share common values and growth together, right? And by the way, opposites don't attract. Mm -hmm. That's absolute nonsense. What is shown the data is that common (laughs) values... Common values and mm. common traits and common interests attracts because you can talk about it, right? Uh, that's the that's the mm. number one thing I can give. And and you need to be able to hold a conversation with that person. And, and by the way, it doesn't mean that you have to be charismatic or conversationless. It means that you need to actually click with that person or try to click and try to find common terms. And that's also, by the way, a great salesman and a negotiator understands who's in front of them quicker and knows how, what to talk about, how to talk about, and change their mannerisms and characteristics. And that's also a very valid point that people miss. By the way, I was at this event, and I, uh, Oxford graduates and so forth. Now I've traveled the world, I've dropped out, and I, I forgot about the Oxford, Harvard world after seven years. I walked in, I said, my God, some of you are so, so intelligent, but you have no idea how to talk to different aspects of people, right? Because now you, IQ, doesn't, <laughs> IQ doesn't mean anything, it's EQ. And also I have something else called SQ, mm. the spiritual quota. Who's in front of you? Can you feel it? And then change that aspect. And that's very important as well. And, and, they, and they, people say, never judge a book by its cover. I said, that's bullshit. Because um, you can never judge a person, <laughs> but but you should know what genre it is. You should know who's in front of you, fiction or non-fiction, bullshit or truth. And you should know if it's a sports guy or it's a you know martial arts guy or it's an educated person. And you should know the genre of the bo- book as well. So that's important as well. So know that person in front of so you, know you- that girl. Yeah. Hey, could you, could you elaborate a bit more about <laughs> SQ? Because I've heard about IQ, yeah. obviously, mm-hmm. and I know about EQ as well, but I've never heard of SQ before. Is this a yeah. term that you're coining? Is this a... Yeah, I coined it. I'm making... <laughs> yes, yes, sir. I, I do need to get up for a second. This, but I really want to know about SQ. I'm going to say for just to hear this part. I need to get up for a second. That's it. Oh, are you coming okay. back? Yeah, S- SQ. so SQ. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> SQ. <laughs> okay. Love it. Carry Love on. it. Yeah, just Love carry it. on. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been exposed to some of the best drug dealers in the world. Um, I worked with Nobel Prize winners <laughs> and I worked with... I, I seriously, it's been a crazy uh, 37 years on this. And I've worked with billionaire CEOs in high-level business corporate, right? One thing I've realized is that all mm-hmm. of them uh, have high risk appetite. But once you walk into a room, you don't need to know who's in the room or what data is or what they're talking about or what's actually projected. You have a gut feeling of the room. Yeah, You understand that room, Right. I'm not talking about God or spiritual understanding of the universe, but you understand. And for me, that spiritual quota is like you're aware, and that's the word, you're aware of your surroundings of what's mm. going on. You understand patterns. Mm-hmm. The re- For me, real genius mm-hmm. is when you walk into something and you don't know anything about it or anyone, but you get it and you can just go with it. 
and go with the flow. That's real SQ and that's real genius. Because everything else, this Oxford, Harvard, all this, it's just learned experience and knowledge applied. That's working memory. Anyone can do it, right? Or emotional intelligence, anyone can talk to you and get on it. But once you don't know anything and you're a blank slate and you can still be successful, that's real genius. So that's why I call XQ, being aware. I I believe that uh, this the term that like the explanation you're giving is also maybe relating more to energy like yeah. it's kind of like the energy that you're feeling between people how it's flowing uh, within the communication networks mm. between individuals groups so uh, like society when you enter the room i think energy is the thing that you were talking about that's what you're you latch you catch on that's what you feel what you sense mm-hmm. if it's a low energy you maybe you have to come in with high energy to like change the the whole vibe of the room so that because that's what it's looking for if it's a high energy you gotta either match it or just like slide in there listen and just absorb that energy so that you can reach their level as well but i understand what you mean it's it it's not very easy like in the beginning to understand it but when you put yourself like constantly in these situations eventually you just like you were saying about pattern recognition, yes. you start witnessing the different patterns from different individuals and how they react, how they interact with you or how they interact with other people. And then you can just either join in or just be the quiet one and listen. And yes. you just understand more what kind of role you, ha- you have to play in that that position. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. And, and it's more important as all we are as migrants in a foreign country. I was the only Asian guy in China, mm-hmm. right? I was one of a Chinese individual. And I've been only kind of, um, I hate to say working class, middle class, in a very affluent uh, upper class kind of rooms. It's very important that anyone, anyone, white, brown, whatever, right? Black, put themselves in uncomfortable rooms. One of my new New Year's resolution is always the same. And one of them is that how many uncomfortable rooms can I get into this year? Because once you do that more and more, you get to learn energy more and more. And then you're very comfortable with anything that hits you in life. Yeah, 100% true. Um, I want to know how you still have like, um, so you have your IQ, you got your EQ, you got your SQ and you got your muscles. You're a special I, man, Proudy. Most no, of I, us I, only I, have maybe maybe one of those things. I, I don't have <laughs> I, I don't okay. have much muscles as before, but dropping out and failing a lot helps in everything. Um, when you're in these rooms, a lot of these people don't have all this, and you're a very principled man. Many people are not. How can you connect with these people if your values are so different? That's what you said, right? Like opposites don't attract and you're so specific in your life. Mm-hmm. How do you connect with people? Are there, there are people you just like, you know, this person I can't connect with because it's not going to work or you always try. Yeah. What advice I, do you have? So, so there's two points here. Um, number one, I don't do anything that's out of my control and that's not a strategic win or, you know, what is in my control and what is what am I doing that's going to be strategically valuable for my growth 
my personal growth, my family growth, or my company growth? If not, why am I in this room? Mm-hmm. I will not go to football matches and watch football mm-hmm. matches over 90 minutes unless it's a final or something important because it, it, it's irrelevant for me. But others can and have fun time, right? And, I, you know, that's okay. So I try to go to rooms with an uh, with a aim. So, hey, I'm at this dinner. I'm trying to get investments or get to, get to know a new uh, person. I'll go with the aim and try to mingle. And I, that aim helps me kind of channel what I'm doing and focusing, right? Uh, if it's just on the streets, I'm just, I'm just totally humble and, you know, um, no ego. I'll talk to anyone. Um, but the second point is most of my life, the hardest things I've done is been in rooms that people either ignore you or laugh at you or I know the energy saying, who the hell is this guy, right? He's not the same as us. And that is not racism and that is not classism. That's just basic biology and pattern recognition. A certain number of people have come together, like three Lebanese guys on a podcast, right? They know their their principal values and so forth. So they interview different people. You guys are not bad, but you have me here, right? So it's up to me to go in there with my aim Mm -hmm. or become friends with you, actually understand you and work with you. So that's one thing a lot of people, I think, in this generation are saying, hey, or it's racism, or it's classism, or I can't get here, I can't get there. Yes, those barriers exist, but you can break them down if you actually put yourself in very uncomfortable rooms and learn how to talk to these people and make them actually uh, back you and grow with you. If not, you know, it's a numbers game. Walk away and go to another room and try to win that room. And how do you separate the first impressions from uh, people? Because like, I'm not going to lie. I used to be terrible at first impressions. I used to always give off uh, a first impression that I might be annoying or just someone you don't want to really <laughs> hang around with because, you know, I talk a lot or something. And sometimes I say th- weird things. Now I just, I don't, I don't care what people think about me because I know my weirdness makes me a bit more selective indirectly. And it helps me like that because mm. then the people who actually want to hang out with me or want to connect with me, will accept me as I am. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but also when I look, when I meet new people and I read off their first impressions, sometimes I'm just like, maybe I don't want to deal with this person again. And, but at the same time in your head, you want to think because I was put in that situation. That's how people thought of me. Maybe I don't want to, I want to give those people a chance. So how do you, how do you understand who's, who deserves a second chance after their terrible first impression and who doesn't yeah i, I think you can answer your question so me what i try to do is is a principle that my grandfather <laughs> taught me uh, uh, is that i always try to dress smart um uh, a blazer or a jacket mm. or a tie or a suit it's, it's the way you look mm-hmm. perceptions everything and the first kind of words you utter so we look we're talking about first raw impressions so if it's england london anywhere i go smart uh, dressing, try to be the smartest in the room, not brain-wise, dress-wise, tie, cufflinks, everything, and I'll go in there and say, hey, my name is Pradeep, you know, and I, that's how I introduce myself, firm handshake and a talk. I believe most of the time that's a great impression because most of the time people don't even sh- shake hands and say, hey, how are you? My name is Pradeep. And that handshake mm-hmm. is a lost, it's a lost art form and dressing well is a lost art form. So I try to maintain that. 
Uh, it's quite hard in summer, but you know, try to get short uh, shirts if you can. Um, so that's one thing, perception and the way you introduce yourself. When you come to uh, more kind of sec- first impression and you keep seeing the same person again or try to give it a chance, I, I, I don't know what it is, it me or not, but I don't judge. Uh, maybe that's my secret power. I just keep talking to people because uh, I, as you said, I reflect back on my life and, um, you know, I just had a, a, a weird situation. Actually. I was at a, a coffee shop uh, and one of my friends, you know, usually she's actually nice, but she's like, why are you talking to this guy? And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, wait, you know me and you know who I am and what kind of, you know, I talk to everyone. And there's this guy. I'm like, do you know who that guy is? She's like, no. I'm like, I talk to him because he's a guy, he's working in a coffee shop, but he's got a master's degree in architecture, running two side businesses. He's running one renovation company and one building company, right? Property company. So I talked to him because he wanted my Instagram. You know, he, he realized that I'm from the same area and I can help out, right? So the first impression she had was of a guy working in a coffee shop. I didn't have that first impression. I was like, hey, let's just chat to this kid because he actually wanted to talk to me. So the more you do it and the more you realize and self-reflect, you erase those things out. And, you know, you never know where greatness lies. You never know. Based on that example, I think the one that, uh, the, like, that really stuck out was that people who put in an effort. So he, he gave, like, you know, he put in an effort to come and talk to you. So that's why he put in an impression there. And when most people, most people wouldn't even try that, you know, they would, they'd either shy away or just like have a judgment in their head or an expectation in their head that would make them either not follow up on their decision. And that just says so much about them. But the fact that people are willing to put in an effort to even just say hello or talk to you, that changes the whole scenario for you. And I think that's, that kind of, that's what the, the answer that's the answer I was looking for for my question. Yeah, and people love effort, and the people who have succeeded have put enough effort, so they love people trying to make an effort. Um, so that's number one. And also, even if you get, if if I was in that coffee shop and I, I didn't answer that guy, hopefully that that guy keeps asking, saying hello, and asking others the same question. Hey, I'm trying to start a business, la la la, because then it's a numbers game as well. Um, so those are two things I think you have to understand. So in this situation, quantity favor is more it trumps quality, or how does it how does it go on from there? Since you you keep yeah, using uh, the term a numbers game, I want to understand more about game. that. Yeah, so you know anything in life is a numbers game. Three phone calls to Polytech University, thirteen for masters, forty seven for PhD, two hundred and seventy two to get my first academic and. Uh, professor job that allowed me to skip 13 years of work by the way right and and defy all my professors wow. in the west right 800 and i think we are 92 now for investments so no matter what my qualifications no matter what i've done i realize the numbers game and notice it is harder to get investments for the business than get into oxford and harvard right the bigger the goal the more numbers it is i'm having and that's what it's been. Um, so it's always been a numbers game, and no matter what you do. And the more you do it, 
coming back to asking that girl out or asking for that money or you know going and starting a, a education course it comes down to application numbers and just people just you know every, every i always say every rejection is a misconceived conception and perception so someone seen you something wrong with you or you have to go and correct it is not their fault so you got to correct the application you got to correct the way you look the correct something and you go again and if you have an excel sheet coming back to that kid in the hood writing every failure from weightlifting i still have the excel sheet every application every investor i talk to little note what's the next thing what's changed and keep going keep going keep going and it's worked for me i'm 37 i'm still getting rejected and i'm total failure and dropping out but it's worked for me Uh, I don't uh, think Pradeep, it's... I love your point of view and I don't think on everything. It's... Yeah, Paco. Uh, I don't think it's about quantity. I think your quality of your conversation has upgraded throughout the years. That's why you like absolutely. It, yes, it it's took you eight hundred. Like that's what I noticed that your quality of the conversation has increased. Like it's not the same. Yeah, like right, you because, learn from your because... mistakes. Exactly, you're, I see you're spot on. I I can't I can't correct you on that. That's exactly what I've done. Learn from everything. <laughs> so the numbers game yeah. is basically the practice that you that you use so that your quality improves, and then eventually you reach a point where you don't have to do so much, so many calls, so many, you know, yeah, don't have to ask so many questions for people to invest in you yeah. or to help you out because yeah. at that point they already know who you are and what you can do and what you're capable of but for that yes. to happen also remember, you have to build up the whole yeah. repertoire yeah it's you accumulate knowledge but also you accumulate a network and sometimes like mm -hmm. i was doing uh, e-commerce raising for a particular company right and i got to know of jewel dealers jewelry gemstone dealers spice dealers in china when i started i uh, left um um uh, pharmaceuticals went to e-commerce i learned to know 49 factory owners so every rejection and every is getting growing the networks so you're learning and still on a mission but your people and portfolio knowledge is so much and by the way i have a weird kind of thinking and but just getting a certificate or a qualification being a doctor or a phd is is good right our cultures and many cultures love it right but to me real genius yeah. is mm -hmm. if you can go in and learn something and dominate one sphere and go again and reinvent yourself reinvent yourself and be successful many for me what's exciting is that i can grow businesses in so many different fields and meet so many different people and learn new knowledge all the time and still make money that's real uh for me uh life and endeavor and genius right um quote unquote yeah. but some people just want to work on one particular drug or one particular project and that's great because the world needs them but it gets for me it gets very boring so you got to expose yourself and on that note it becomes through a numbers game failure meeting people getting knowledge but also expanding the network mm-hmm um, could you expand a bit on that, Pradeep, about like, so I feel like if you're focused on one thing, you're likely to succeed. If you're focused on a few things, five, six, seven, eight things, the more things you focus on, 
the more you're not actually an expert and sometimes that we're older um like i've been trying to like i like i'm very creative i like to do a bunch of things but now i'm trying to like focus on the things that really matter to me more because and try to like really cut out things that don't matter because um it's it's cutting away from my other ambitions in life so what would you recommend because right now you're saying that no you should try to expand your horizons and get different skills mm-hmm. um but the key to is that the key to success the last thing i want to be is like you know 30s 40s and have nothing because i didn't work for one thing that, that, that's it's, it's a really great point um and i quote this japanese samurai master i totally forgot his name i think joe rogan always quotes him as well he said, uh, I mean, he, I think he killed 60 odd people in hand to hand combat, right? And he says, if you master one thing very well in life, you can almost do anything, other things very well as well. Because in that journey, you master mm. yourself and you know how to negate certain things. Because I dropped out of so many things, I failed. I know what's going to work and when to pull out and when to not do in. So if answer your question, Ali, right? I'm doing business in e-commerce and that's my main kind of focus, investments, launching products, acquiring companies. That's my main focus. But on my other kind of verticals, I'm still saying, hey, I need to grow this empire and what networks do I have and what's close by where I can use my knowledge from one thing and to expand it to make profits or make connections, right? So... For example, e-commerce branding, I know Sri Lankan factory owners, but those factory owners know gem people and spice people and so forth. Hey, can I now connect these people and build businesses elsewhere? So I'm still focusing by, uh, by expanding the horizon. So it's like channel vision tunnel, but making the tunnel bigger. And there's no harm in that. It's, I'm doing that very strategically and I've done that all my life. From biology, drug discovery, drug discovery to uh, business development in drug discovery acquisitions to then launching products in drug discovery and then launching products in e-commerce then then buying and uh, selling companies e-commerce. So it's always been the same set of expertise and knowledge but applied in different areas. And that's where I think the fun becomes. So that's when you've got to master it but also know certain things. And that's what business actually allows you to do so much because it's the same kind of principles. So, and you mentioned that you've worked with multiple different types of dealers, mainly obviously in the pharmaceutical companies, you worked with the the legal drug dealers, of course. Um, (laughs) But how did you end up working with spice dealers and jewel dealers and all of these other people? And also who are the best dealers to work with? (laughs) Yeah, so, um, so I was in pharmaceuticals, it's my third dropout. And I was in pharmaceuticals, I was doing well, I was vice president. And, you know, coming from Northwest London, now it's like, click, click, click. I learned how money works, right? And it really does work at different levels. So I was in, I was in China doing very well, vice president. And all of a sudden, this boy from Northwest London, I had a private jet and a chauffeur, not me, but the company to do deals. So I was like, what the hell is going on in my life, right? I was working very hard. By the way, those things is not a luxury. It saves time. You don't have to be in the airport for three hours because a deal might go. So I was, I was saving time working on these players, chauffeurs. I learned how money works. I'm like, holy crap, I can do this for myself and actually get freedom 
freedom is what most important thing, not money, and also make a better life for my family. By that time, hey guys, there's no ego here. I've discovered drugs for my species. I've published. I've got a great education. I've got credentials. I don't need anything else, right? Because that's thing, one thing I realized. And number two, I'm like, okay, fine. So I was doing these things and then the pandemic hit. And this is where you have to be pattern recognition, recognize opportunities. Pandemic hits and they're like, everyone, you're on lockdown straight away. You guys watch um, I'm Legend by Will Smith how New York was yeah. like yeah, totally yeah, dead. That's how worse. China, my city was absolutely dead. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Will Smith, absolutely dead city. I was like, yeah. okay. And I was doing pull-ups on washing uh, bars, machines, uh, press-ups and dips on it. I was doing water <laughs> bottle curls. And then they like, finally they said, hey, all foreigners go to one hotel. I tell them at the hotel, I'm the only foreigner left in that city. I was like, what the hell is going on? And I, then I see like... You were the Will Smith of fat. China, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and then I was like, I was like, what the hell is going on? I didn't have a dog, by the way. Um, I was like, what's going on, right? Uh, uh, and I saw all these men on laptops. I'm like, hey, how did you guys get out? It's a lockdown. They're like, oh, we own factories and we kind of own this city. We can do what we want. I'm like, hey, let me see what you guys are doing, right? I do corporate uh, business now. And I, I looked at their numbers, guys, 400,000 a day, 200% ROI. And I was like, I'm in the wrong business, right? So I'm like, can I, can I help you? Can I get into this business? They're like, no. So this is where the hustle begins. It's a numbers game. During the morning, I was actually senior vice president doing deals in corporate pharma and pharmaceuticals. During the night, right? I will come come to this hotel and I'll help all these factory owners rewrite Amazon case reports and communicate with customers because I knew English and they didn't. That's how I won their trust. Eventually, one guy said, hey, I can allow you to sell toys. So I started selling toys. Um, I done very well in the UK. Then I came back to the UK. I'm like, hey, my science C was amazing. I tried to get a job in science. They're like, now you're too young or overqualified. We can't give you the same vice president role. I'm like, stuff this. I will start my own company. And that's how I go into e-commerce. So when I go into e-commerce, I understood now I need to get more and more factories and um, dealers and manufacturers. So I traveled the world. Um, I went to Sri Lanka, India, mm -hmm. Turkey, China, Indonesia, and I met all these factory owners. And everyone has a friend, right? You know how it works in these countries. And everyone's like, meet my friend, mm -hmm. meet my friend. I'm like... I'm meeting everyone. I'm having 10 dinners. I'm going to get stuff. <laughs> I'm meeting everyone. Everyone kind of feeds you. So that's how I got to know so many people. And everything is an opportunity for me. And everything is a network that might click. So I latch on to anything. And for me, there's no one best dealer. Uh, people say, hey, is it Jewish people? Or is it the Arabs? Or is it the Indians? Or is it the Chinese? <laughs> for me... <laughs> For me, everyone has a up and down, but usually everyone, no matter what nationality, has the same kind of principles, values, and mindsets. And that comes down to risk appetite, hunger, ambition, and want, and also the ability to communicate it. So those are the principles I'm looking for, mm -hmm. not the wow. one set of dealers. Dr. Pradeep, can I ask one little uh, question for you since you're yeah, a, yeah. an expert at sales 
and now that you've been on the show for almost an hour, what would what kind of sales pitch would you put if you were running this show for someone? Uh, depends on your audience. I don't want to put you on the spot on the spot, and you can say and you can say <laughs> no to it if you don't want to. No, I'll do it, but you're gonna tell me what's your audience? Who's your audience? Right. Is it everyone? So is it someone? Audience... Is it? So it's our audience are people who want to be educated and entertained at the same time. We're trying to provide an, uh, an education platform where it's different than the academic system because I myself, I, I hate the academic system, the education system because it's very boring for me. Like I was able to get through it because, you know, was, I somehow made it through. I don't know. I don't know how I made it through, but I did. But at the same time, it wasn't entertaining for me. It's not, uh, it's not the way I want to learn. And the podcast, to be honest, has been very educational for me because I just get to learn from other people's experiences. So I guess our audience are just people who want to learn in a new way, in a different way, and in a fun way. Yeah, I think you just done your own pitch. <laughs> no, I'll probably go for <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the way to sell by the way you ask questions and let other people talk <laughs> right that's what you did right <laughs> and you you done it twice you done it twice now now one with impression first impressions and second now with his own pitch no i'll say hey if you're like the 90 percent of people on this earth who are illiterate and not educated and you want to come and learn a different way by experts who actually have failed and dropped out themselves and have a unique story, you listen to our podcast because we're here to help and serve. Simple as that. Uh, you know, guys, to be honest with you, there's always two mindsets. There's the really educated Pradeep and there's a street hustler, migrant, war refugee. And there's certain scenarios that have helped me in the world. The war refugee street hustler has always made the best decisions. Sometimes education and date, and it's, mm. it's a great thing, by the way, it allows you to reflect. And t but sometimes there's a certain thing called uh, paralysis by analysis. You get too analytical, mm -hmm. too much data, Very too well. clever, and you paralyze and you can't do nothing. But the street hustle and big deals like, let's go do it. Let's fail. You know, let, take me to court. Take with you wherever, but I'm going to find a way to get it done. Uh, so that's why, you know. Let's go. you got to be, uh, as I say, an uneducated, educated person to win in this world now. You need some expertise, but you need to understand that you got to let it go and take quick judgment. 100%. I completely wow. agree. Dr. Pradeep. Let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much for that. You, your insights have been Amazing. This is the type of education I love. This is the type of education I want for everyone else to also witness. Guys, I hope you also Same. learned just as much as me. Thank you so much for Same. watching. And this is how Thank we Thank you very much, guys. Out. Salute to the Amazing camp. show. All the best.